0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour. Normally, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Richard Geiger, but he is currently recovering from a death spore. I'm not sure where he got it, but uh, being the responsible individual that he is, he is keeping it well away from the general populace, so we shouldn't be in any sort of a Stephen King the stand scenario as he uh, gets over this little this little awful icky yeah bit but uh, we're coming back to you with an episode this week where we're continuing down the road of the history of comic books and comic strips in television we have done one episode in this particular series so far and we covered the very beginnings of where everything uh, where well where everything started uh, talked about the beginnings of television just a little bit and in general and uh, talked about the first few, Uh, Comic book and comic strip uh, inspired shows. Now, just as a reminder of what we consider to fall into this particular category, the source material must have been a comic strip or a comic book before it was adapted into any other uh, film or television medium. Now, it could have been uh, a novel before it was adapted into a comic book or comic strip, uh, but it must have been that uh, before it was in any sort of uh, radio play or or television or anything like that. So we took care of the early 1950s, pretty much, uh, is kind of where we started, and we're going to continue from where we left off with the, unsurprisingly, mid-1950s. Um, we'll probably, I think we'll get to the late fifties. Uh, we'll see how our timetable goes, and I don't want to go too far without my my friend uh, at the at the helm with me. But uh, we'll we'll see what we've got. So let's let's journey back to the year nineteen fifty four. Now uh, nineteen fifty two is kind of where we left off. We talked a little bit about uh, adventures of Superman and Tearing the Pirates. Uh, we will go with nineteen fifty four. Flash Gordon. Now, Flash Gordon was originally a comic strip that was started in 1934. This particular television series, which was a live-action series, lasted a single season. Uh, Alex Raymond, uh, the creator of Flash Gordon, had quite a, quite a run with this particular uh, particular series, but this isn't the only thing that he was known for. Um he had several very popular strips that he was He was part of. Uh, Rip Kirby was popular. Um, Jungle Jim, Secret Agent, X-9. Those two in particular uh, were adapted into films, uh, which we talked a little bit. I seem to remember at least one of them in our history of comic book films. We stayed away from the comic strips. But uh, both were adapted a, a couple of different times into other medium. But these strips ran a long time uh, in specific uh, Flash Gordon uh, lasted until 1956, uh, having started uh, significantly earlier. Or not 1956. I'm having one of those days, you know. I may not be uh, <laughs> down quite so long, but uh, it 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 kept going for uh, quite a long time. Um, anyway, so let's let's get to kind of what this is. I, the Flash Gordon is kind of an early an early sci-fi strip where the whole concept is that flash is not really like an astronaut or anything. He's a, he's a polo player. (laughs) So, I mean, he's, he's an athlete and he decided that uh, he wanted to uh, parachute from an aircraft, uh, that had just been wrecked uh, by a falling meteor because, you know, that's what you do to try and save yourself. Uh, and when he lands, uh, with, uh, his, uh, Partner in crime, as it were, the uh, Dale Arden, uh, who he grabbed on the way out of the plane. Uh, they're just in time to get on a rocket ship headed for the planet Mongo. <laughs> this is a, a kind of a real campy sci-fi series. It's it's got a classic art vibe to it. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good stuff in this. Now, a little bit to understand is. Just kind of as a product of its time, some things don't age quite so well. Um, the main villain of the series, uh, Ming, is clearly you know the the kind of the the evil Asian name sort of a thing. It um, it wasn't quite quite all like that, but there was definitely some some. There's definitely some influence uh, of that. So if you're going at it with uh, 2022 20, eyes, and you look back at it, ab- above and beyond that, you know the the science fiction element is really really dated. Um, it's it just uh, there are certain social elements that don't don't play quite so well. Um, now this was clearly um, in competition with Buck Rogers. Because uh, you know that was really popular, and if I remember correctly, predated Flash Gordon. But uh, it was uh, like I said, this this whole series was just a lot of fun. They 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 just had uh, so much to work with, and Alex Raymond was uh, was very talented in the way that he put stuff together. Uh, the television series specifically. If you look at it, the individuals that were involved with it, this was pretty much the one thing that they were known for. Uh, Steve Holland played Flash Gordon. Irene uh, Champlin was Dale Arden. The only other name that is in pretty much all of the episodes is uh, Joseph Nash as Dr. Hans Zarkov. Um, None of them are really names that you would notice from much of anything else. You look at who did the direction of everything. Uh, Gunther Von Frisch didn't really do much of anything else. Now, Wallace Worsley, uh, he, however, did quite a bit of second unit direction and assistant directing throughout the years. Uh, A lot of, you know, Westerns and even worked with – uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents, and you know a variety of other things. A lot of films. Um, in fact, he was uh, an assistant director, uh, uncredited anyway, on *The Wizard of Oz*, which was kind of neat. But in terms of just you know luminary names that people may recognize, there, there isn't exactly a whole lot from this particular series. Which it's not terribly surprising; it only lasted a year, and it was still, it was still kind of an early. Um, an early item. now one kind of interesting thing for me that I thought was kind of cool in terms of production management, uh, Mr. Worsley was also involved with like ET and, uh, and deliverance and <laughs> slapshot. I mean so, so this guy got, this guy specifically was involved with a lot of really cool stuff um i never saw this series in its original it was black and white which you know as a kid was not real interesting to me uh and i don't think it was syndicated on any of the like three channels that i could get when i was that age but i would uh definitely like to see some of this um some of this material now and see how it holds up it seems like it would be a lot of fun just kind of give a bit of a, a look too so that is our first entry into uh, 1954. Now, that actually is the only entry into 1954 now that I mentioned. It. There's nothing that was in 53 that came out that I know of uh, from any of my research that I've found so far. And nothing else in 54. But if we travel to 1955, we do get back into having at least one um, television show based on a comic strip or a comic book. And that is specifically Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. Now, this is another live-action adaptation of the source material. Uh, now, uh, this one was not a comic strip, but was a comic book. Uh, if you look at the, uh, at, you know, kind of the byline sort of thing, you, you see that it was uh, Mort Meskin as the artist, and a lot of times uh, uh, Jerry Iger is uh, listed as the writer. Now, a lot of people kind of think of Jerry Iger in in the same way that they think of like Stan Lee, that he would take credit for what other people did. Um so it's it's not one hundred percent sure how much uh Iger was really involved with uh, with Shauna Queen or Sheena. What about call her Shauna? Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. Um but as far as Meskin goes, Meskin was involved with just tons and tons of really interesting uh, projects. This is like early, early comic book stuff. So if you're looking at you know Marvel and DC, you will probably not recognize a ton of what of what he what he did work on. But uh, if you look at some of the old stuff like uh, Mister Satan and uh, uh, Vigilante and. Uh, he did Starman. I mean, so I mean, so there, there's there's some really cool stuff. And it's just got his particular style has just kind of a a really neat early feel to it. I I I love it. It's just kind of implied lines the way that that he would put things together. It's 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 lets you kind of put some of the picture in your mind. Uh, and and it it's just neat. I always like that. Um, now and the Queen of the Jungle. Was originally supposed to be kind of like a Tarzan sort of a thing. It uh, was from 1937 originally, um, and it was actually okay. So it wasn't exactly a comic book. It was in a, a tabloid, but it was really a comic book, um, and it was it was a British uh, tabloid called Wags. Um, but the the whole concept kind of morphed over time uh, in terms of the origin of the character. Why was this? Uh, uh, gorgeous blonde woman in the middle of the jungle sort of thing. So it started as, you know, the father uh, went there and was accidentally killed, and she was raised by a witch doctor that actually did the killing on accident, uh, you know, to try and uh, make up for the mistake. And then they they changed it several times. The only thing that's really common is that she's always in the jungle. She usually has, a, a like, a chimp friend Um, she always has somebody to have her adventures with. Um, so I mean, that is kind of what it is. And that's just, she's been around at least in comic book form in the United States for almost as long as Superman did. I mean, it's like just a couple of months after Superman was released, the issue with Sheena in it was there. Um, so it's just, uh, this is, this is kind of an icon of the original comic book. Uh, landscape, which was which was great. Um, and Sheena has been done multiple times over the years, both in television and in film. Um, now, the two main directors on the show, which only lasted one season, we're starting to see a bit of a theme here, um, were Carl K. Hillman and Arthur Pearson, primarily. They each did ten episodes. They weren't the only directors, but they're the ones of note, really. Um, both really didn't have, uh, or I should say Carl Hittleman, really didn't have much of anything that you would really recognize. But Arthur Pearson, on the other hand, was a writer for a lot of shows. Um, in fact, you know, Flintstones, he did writing for the Flintstones and uh, the uh, Terry and the Pirates television series that we've kind of already talked about just a little bit Um so that's kind of uh, kind of an interesting thing, but he is also a director of uh, uh, the, several of those shows and did a version of Christmas Carol. So, I mean, did, did a little bits here and there. Um, now, Sheena was uh, portrayed as Irish McCalla in this particular iteration of the show. Again, this is kind of what she was known for. She was in some other stuff, but n- nothing that was really all that big. Christian Drake... Played uh, Bob Rayburn, her, the person that, you know, those, the second uh, major character in the series. And again, not a whole lot of uh, other stuff that this gentleman was known for either. Uh, but now, kind of an interesting thing uh, Lee Weaver uh, was in six episodes of this show playing uh, a variety of characters. But uh, if you don't recognize that name, Lee Weaver was in a lot of stuff, all the way, you know, even to current day. He's still in a ton, a ton of stuff. Um, You know, a lot lot of small parts here and there, but uh, some bigger stuff, too. Some things that you may even recognize. I mean, he was in The 40-Year-Old Virgin in 2005 and had a fairly prominent part in that film. Um, He was in Donnie Darko and... um, (laughs) <laughs> suddenly Susan the TV series uh, sorry that just that just makes me giggle just a little bit so seeing that uh, uh, it reminds me of one of the first films that I, that I looked at anyway I'm I am digressing this is one of those things that if if I go if I go down the, the rabbit hole uh, I'll constantly find different stuff but now this guy you will see just um, all over the place now my favorite little thing and the reason that I really brought him up in the first place is he did the voice for Alpine in the GI Joe television series in the 80s, which I mean it's seems like kind of a small thing and in, in a way, it really kind of is, but that was a big part. that shows a big part of my childhood. So just I that's a voice that I know that I'll always know because he uh, he you know he was in a lot of those shows. It's like, oh, that's kind of awesome. But anyway, that's pretty much Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. Um, it's it's just kind of a, a fun early take on comic books and, and the source material. Um, now, uh, unsurprisingly, that was really the only one released in 1955. Uh, there was nothing in 56 that I could see, but we come back to something again in 1957. Now, this one's a big one. Uh, Just because the source material has been around for a really, really long time. And it's just been one of the more solid uh, comic strips that I know a lot of people have enjoyed over the years. And what I'm talking about is Blondie in 1957. Now this is another live action adaptation, uh, Black and White uh, that was in existence for a single season. Now, Blondie was based on a comic strip from 1937 by Chick Young. Uh, Chick Young. This is kind of what he's known for. Um, it's not the only strip that he did, but this is this is the thing. Uh, this is kind of almost like a slice of life, sort of a, a strip. I've heard it described as a pretty girl strip, which may be more accurate, but it's just not exactly how I I look at it, I guess. But the whole concept is 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 pretty simple. There there is some character development over time through the strip, but it still is a lot like other comic strips where the com uh, the characters stay basically the same once they're set. And so the kind of the whole concept was, you know uh Dagwood who is the guy that has hair growing out the side of his head for some reason just I'm still not quite sure what that is supposed to represent but it looks really neat and I've always liked it uh is basically he's super rich he is the son of a uh I don't remember what was it he was it was like um my brain is starting to turn off. It's, it's, it's too much. Well, his dad was really rich, uh, you know, uh, some sort of uh, massive company. And then he ends up marrying Blondie, whose last name, by the way, is Boopadoop before before being Bumstead, which is still funny. But uh, so as soon as he marries her, he is disowned and has to go work for a regular company, and that's basically where he works the entire time. So the whole strip is about him and his relationship with his wife and and uh, his relationship with his neighbors and how he doesn't like his mailman. You know, it's kind of standard stuff. It's just, uh, like I said, slice of life sort of stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, there were a lot of films based on this particular comic strip that came out in the 20s and 30s, if I remember correctly. Um, and actually, Arthur Lake, who played uh, Dagwood in this, was actually Dagwood in a bunch of those films. Uh, now, his films were the ones basically from the the late 30s to uh, 40s. Um, and I, I seem to remember there's some earlier, I think, no, that's right, late 30s, 40s. I don't know what I'm thinking because the strip came out in 37. Um, uh, as, as I get uh, later and later in the evening, the more, my, the more my brain wants to kind of run out of my ear and I don't have my co-host to keep me in check. But he was in a bunch of other films uh, ever since uh, the early 20s. So Arthur Lake was kind of like a, a, a fairly large uh, actor at that point and continued along with this role. Now, um, this was the last role that he was credited with um in film or television that I could see. Um so it's just kind of um um it's kind of what there's, there's the last thing that he did anyway. Um now the series itself was directed primarily by Paul Landris. Uh Paul Landris did a lot of TV. And when I say a lot of TV, I mean a lot of T V all the way up through the the late 60s. Uh, if you ever heard of Flipper, you know, Dolphin, Squeak, Squeak, he did some directing on that. Um, he did, you know, just a lot of really interesting stuff, a few episodes of Maverick. Um, he did uh, just just some really, I, I, I keep wanting to say campy. It's not really campy, but it's classic. There's the word I was looking for. Just a lot of really classic television uh, direction, which is just kind of fun to see. Um, the other interesting name that is among all these other names, and there's there's a lot of names to look at, but uh, the other one to consider is uh, Pamela Britton, who played Blondie Bumstead. Um, she was she was not known for a ton of different other stuff, but she. I thought was kind of interesting was also in my favorite Martian, which was uh, a early to mid sixties television show, which was just kind of a fun sitcom. It was like, you know, it's, I have a a family member who just happens to be a Martian and he's trying to fit in sort of stuff. Uh, And she, she played, if I remember correctly, I think it was, um, was it a neighbor or something like that, but she was constantly all, almost always stumbling over his identity good actress. It was just kind of a, a fun thing to, to realize there was that link between those two particular shows. But uh, as far as I know, I think Blondie is still going strong in terms of uh, comic strips and still, I think it's still syndicated to this day. Um, yeah. So yeah. Blondie. Lot, a lot of Blondie movies and television shows. We're going to come back to this one. I have a funny feeling before too terribly long. Now, also in 1957, we actually get two entries from the same year. This one is actually an animated series that was out in 1957. It is called Captain Pugwash. Now, Captain Pugwash is another British uh, strip in origin. Uh, It was developed by John Ryan and is actually not too far before the cartoon was created it actually was released in 1950 Um, but the whole concept is basically uh, Captain Pugwash is a pirate and he's a pirate that kind of works for the royalty and but it's there's there's a number of similar characters where they're they're doing this thing that's technically not very nice but you never actually see them do the thing and it's just ends up being a little bit silly now, the interesting thing about this, technically there were two seasons of Captain Pugwash. I don't know if you can really call it two seasons because the episodes were only like five minutes apiece. Um, and it's kind of a short animated little thing that was done. Um, so, I mean, it just kind of depends on you know how you look at it. But there was one kind of interesting note that I thought from this. The voice for Captain Horatio Pugwash was Peter Hawkins. Uh, Peter Hawkins is just kind of, um, kind of a really well-known English actor. Uh, at least I'm pretty sure he's English. I seem to remember him being English. <laughs> it's a, yes, yeah, English actor. Um, but most people think of him as the the basically the voice for the Daleks from the original Doctor Who show. Uh, it's it's kind of a an interesting thing that again you have this really neat nerdy connection be- between a couple of uh, a couple of very disparate things, um, but I thought that was just pretty awesome. But that's not the only stuff he is known for. He's in a bunch of television shows and miniseries and all that sort of stuff. He was all over the place. Um, Depending upon how old you are, you may you may or may not recognize him. But, he, you know, 82 productions to his name, nothing to sneeze at. You know what else is nothing to sneeze at? Our social media stuff. <laughs> that was just a terrible, terrible segue. But I'm still going to make you cut to our social media just to let you know how to get a hold of us online anytime you want. And we'll be right back. Hey there, putting People. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the gram gram, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? guys easy enough in fact that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook you might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter where we are at real pudding guys. Uh, we will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week when it's released any other little updates to the ultimate comic movie database or the pop culture death counts will also be there um, now, Our most exciting changes are gonna be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate, the film and television engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's gonna be really, really cool when it releases. Now you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? putting guys pretty easy now right now it's very easy to support us how much does it cost richard it's one dollar per month per month not per day per month (laughs) yes twelve (laughs) dollars for a year yeah Uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content as we get better equipment to release the content into. And when the Fate engine comes out, it will have its own cost, and we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this. And It's going to be so cool. I can't wait for you all to hear about it. I'm trying to keep this episode a little short and sweet because I'm still recovering from a little of the illness myself. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, Richard was not the only one to be sidelined by... By a death spore, I'm just getting over mine, I think, a little bit faster, than he's getting over his, and I think mine was maybe just a little less serious than than his, his is. But let's come back to the late 1950s. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about something that wasn't exactly released so much as it was almost released. And, man, do I want to see this thing. Okay, so in 1958, there was a... Um, there was basically an attempt to make a an Adventures of Super Pup TV show. It got um, it got about as far as a pilot, and I think they then released it as a TV movie. But what I really want you – well, first of all, okay, so when I talk about Super Pup, it's, you know, obviously in the vein of Superman, which is, you know, Schuster and Seagull, uh, DC, you know, look at the sky, you know, that sort of stuff, but it's his dog. Uh, and specifically it's the it's the puppy, but I need you to understand this is a live action adaptation. <laughs> it looks so bad. It's like got got these giant giant head pieces where where people are wearing dog heads and it's just it's I don't have words for it. It looks so incredibly awful that it, it looks wonderful. Um but you know, SuperPup, who is Bark Bent of the Daily Bugle, <laughs> is trying to save his coworker Pamela Poodle. Oh my lord! This it. There just there aren't words. Um, <laughs> uh, the the guy that uh, directed this was Cal Howard. Now Cal Howard was in the industry for just. I don't want to say forever because that's not that's not quite what I mean, but he was involved with just a ton, 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 ton of stuff. Uh, did a lot of animated stuff. Uh so if you like the old Woody Woodpecker show or Bugs Bunny or things like that, he was he was a writer that did a bunch of that stuff. Uh so that makes me feel like this particular um this particular thing here would have that kind of energy, that silly, ridiculous energy. And the thing is, the lead on this was Billy Curtis, you know, wearing this giant dog helmet, basically. Now, Billy Curtis was in just a ton of stuff, like almost uh, 120 different uh, productions over the course of the years. A lot of bit parts, a lot of, a lot of small things here and there. But he has a very recognizable face. And if you watch the original Wizard of Oz, he was the Munchkin father, is what he's listed at. But you cannot you cannot miss him. He's, he's really, really recognizable. Um, and he's just, he's not an incredibly large gentleman, which isn't surprising if he's going to be one of the Munchkins on the Wizard of Oz. But anytime you needed somebody of a certain size and you needed somebody with you know, some charisma that could do stuff. A lot of times he would get tapped. And he was great. in in these little bit roles that you would see him come into, he, he would, you know, show up, knock it out of the park for whatever he needed to do, and then just leave and go and do something else. You get the same thing with Angelo Rosito, who is also in this production. Um, he is similarly just a, a, a smaller individual um, but he was in a bunch of really great stuff over the years. Um, and again, if you were looking for somebody of a certain height, and again, you wanted to get somebody that was just, you know, really, really good at what he was doing, this is another gentleman that you would call. And again, very distinguishable facial features, very handsome gentleman. Uh, but again, he would always just kind of, Whenever he's in something, he was great. These guys were both great. And so I kind of want to see what would happen with them wearing dog helmets or or, or like papier-mâché-created dog faces. i I got to see this at some point. I've never seen it, and i got to find a copy of it. Um, but uh, unsurprisingly, that never made it to actually becoming a television show. Now, we're going to finish up in the same year, 1958, that uh, – Super Pup didn't quite make it. There was something that did actually manage to make it, and that was Steve Canyon. Now, Steve Canyon was a television show, uh, again, a live-action adaptation that lasted a season um, based off of a comic strip. Now, the original Steve Canyon was uh, a strip that appeared in 1947, created by... Milton Kniff. Now, if you recognize that name, we talked a little bit about this gentleman the last episode because he was the one that was responsible for Terry and the Pirates. Uh, So Milton did quite a bit of of work back in the day, and he had a lot of uh, influence. uh, Or not influence, but, well, a lot of influence on the industry is what I was trying to say because he's had some big stuff. So whereas uh, Terry and the Pirates was more a traditional kind of adventure fair on the high seas, this was a a post-war kind of a thing think uh tony stark without the technology like i'm the owner of a large business and specifically my business is flying paint uh flying planes on dangerous missions and you know they're we're trying to avoid the bad guys causing bad things to happen so you just kind of kind of go anywhere with that um but it, it it resulted in just again a lot of really interesting uh it feels almost like if you ever watched a 70s action show, um, it's got that kind of a feel. I don't know of a better way to explain it, but that at least that's what I get from it. Uh, the vast majority of episodes were directed by Lamont Johnson and Don Taylor. Um, now, those names, if you're not completely familiar with them, they have both been in the or they're both in the industry, did a lot of stuff over the years um, I'm trying to think uh, maybe for Lamont Johnson lipstick might be his most well-known um, individual but you know a lot of a lot of stuff over the years and some some really interesting things here and there between television and movies. Uh, Don Taylor on the other hand uh, escape from Planet of the Apes man, the original. Um, so that's kind of a, a really cool thing. The Island of Dr. Moreau, Final Countdown. I mean, this this guy directed some really cool uh, stuff back in the day. So this is one of the one of the gentlemen that's partially responsible for this television series. Uh, most of the names, unsurprisingly, when you're looking at the early to late 50s on these shows that were based on something else, you're not getting a lot of names that you will necessarily recognize. Uh, for a lot of other stuff, but Dean Fredericks played Steve Canyon uh, in the lead on this particular show, and he was in a bunch of other stuff. You know, like uh, Adventures of Ren Ten Ten, he did a little before this particular show, and he's in some stuff after it. You know, again, not a huge name necessarily, but uh, uh, kept working. And if you look down through the the group of people that are in it, there are names that you'll recognize that were in a, a number of films. Uh, In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but uh, nothing that just kind of makes you go, "Oh yeah, what about that one person?" Um, But you know, it just—it's just intended to be a nice, fun, basic adventure romp. You don't have to think too hard on this. It's just watch the guy in the plane go beat the bad guys. Um, But that's what you get from the the kind of the early days of these adaptations. They're, they're going to be a little more simplistic as they get more money, get more ability to have better effects, uh, be able to extrapolate from more complex ideas. And those ideas have to appear, of course, in the other media. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're going on the, the early comics and the early comic strips. So we haven't gotten to the point where it really starts. We're still going off of golden age stuff uh it doesn't really start to get too complicated until we get past that golden age reference material uh but did i miss anything let us know as as you just heard a few minutes ago you can get a hold of us on so many different platforms of social media we love to hear what your thoughts are were some of these some of your favorites did i miss a show somewhere between 1952 and 1958 uh i don't think i did but uh we love to find out new stuff I always leave uh, space to, uh, to just learn and enjoy. And I hope you learned and enjoyed with me. Uh, until next time, uh, uh, keep safe out there. Stay, uh, stay sane. Stay healthy.